Speaking of faraway lands, we have a very special guest speaker with us. Help me welcome, all the way from Little Canada, David Morrow. Mm. Yeah! Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Has anybody ever been to the far-reaching land of Little Canada? <laughs> well, it's good to see everybody. Uh, I am honored to be here. My name's David. Uh, my family's been around here for about a decade or so, and I uh, just love getting the chance to share with you whenever I get the opportunity. So we are in the midst of this series called Course Corrections, which for me, I mean, it's a really simple series, but it's been pretty profound. Like, I mean, the, the whole concept of it is what are the incremental small changes that you could make that if you walk them out mile after mile after mile after mile, eventually you look back and realize I'm a different person than I was. And I, uh, well, has anybody been doing the 21-day Boyd challenge? How, how you doing on that? So we're, we're, uh, we're on week 14 of this challenge that Greg gave us to be writing down daily, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for on a daily basis? I'm guessing he's not having a hard time with that right now. Um, but what I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for fall. Fall is, it, it is unequivocally the best season of the year. And uh, fall is the best and maybe even more so about five minutes north of us on White Bear Ave, there is a new Chick-fil-A, praise God. Um, <laughs> woo! I love Chick-fil-A. All right. Um, so I would just encourage you, if you haven't started doing that, it's not too late. Um, so this course corrections idea, for me, this has been uh, kind of a fascinating one. I... Um, about a month and a half ago, I ran my first half marathon, and it may be my last half marathon. Um, but uh, so, have you guys seen those uh, like stickers on cars that say 13.1 or 26.2? I, I saw one two days ago that said 0, 0.0. Um, and then underneath it, it says, I don't run. Uh, and that, that was me like two months ago. And uh, what I'm grateful for is that when you train for a run, just like you train for the kingdom, you start with a little bit. You start with a small course correction. You start by saying yes to the little thing God is asking you to do, and then a month and a half later, you're running a half marathon. Maybe. Uh, that's the goal. And what I think is cool is that this is so consistent with the kingdom, that God's way starts with little things. It starts with a seed getting planted in the ground. It starts with a little bit of yeast getting worked into dough, and eventually, somewhere down the line, you've got an oak tree. Or you've got a loaf of bread. And so we're being called to make little choices that are consistent with the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, would you pray with me? And then we're going to dive into something together. <sighs> Father God, it is so true that Jesus is the sweetest name we've ever known. And we say thank you. We thank you that your spirit is what empowers us to make kingdom changes. And so Father, would you speak through me? Would you anoint this time? Would you open our ears? Would you speak and invite us into whatever change you're calling us to, to the better of your kingdom and the better of this world? So we love you. Amen. Amen. So normally when I speak here, I'm given the topic to do, and today is no exception. So uh, I was given this topic, and if it bothers you, don't blame me. And, uh, but I've essentially been asked to meddle in your life a little bit. And so the course correction we're talking about today are around the areas of leisure, entertainment, and social media. Yeesh. 
So, you ready to get meddled in a little bit? Uh, uh, so we're going to start, I want to show you this, uh, this pie chart, which is always the best way to engage a fun audience. So, here's a pie chart, uh, and Greg showed this a couple months ago, but it's a pie chart that kind of is an overview of, on a given day, how much leisure time do we have here in the U.S.? And uh, it combines all, adds all up to about five hours a day. So the time where you're not working and you're not sleeping, this is our leisure time. And what's interesting, like you can see it all kind of broken down into watching TV, socializing, reading, sports, games, thinking, leisure, other leisure activities, whatever that happens to be. And what I thought is interesting is that this is from 2015. And even two years ago, there wasn't anything on there about social media or streaming of shows or like all these different things that if you're anything like me, take up a fair amount of your leisure time, which is just to highlight how much our world has changed and continues to change even just in two years, but we're going to look back and how much has it changed over like 15, 20 years. It's pretty massive. Um, so what, what we're going to do to start out is I'm going to invite you to have some conversations with your neighbor. Um, so I, I'm going to put a couple questions up on the screen, and uh, I'm inviting you to introduce yourself to a neighbor, and once you've introduced yourself to them, talk about these questions. What do you do to unplug when you're feeling tired or overwhelmed? And when was the last time you turned off your phone, like totally off? Not on vibrate, not on airplane mode, like the button on the side that you have to hold down and then swipe the thing. Uh, so talk with your neighbor, ask them these questions, we'll come back together in a couple of minutes. All right, let's try and come back together here. I, I, I know at the 11 o'clock service it's dangerous inviting you to disengage, because I don't know if I'm ever going to get you back. You guys are serious. So, uh, anybody in the room never have turned off your phone? Yeah? Maybe? Uh, okay, so I used to work for Apple. I can help you. Like, if after, after the service, if you want to come up, I'll just pray over you and your phone. We will take care of this problem. We will anoint you. So, the, the, the title of this sermon is Unplugged. And we're going to talk about this analogy of unplugging because one of the most common responses I hear when I talk with people of just how you doing, it's, oh, I just need to unplug. Like, I just need to, like, disconnect. I need to kind of disengage for a little while. I, I need to unplug. And I think what I've been recognizing more and more is that I think unplugging is a myth. Because any attempt to unplug always means we're plugging into something. That no matter how I unplug, I'm always plugging into something. And, and sometimes they're good things. Like sometimes it might be a book, like, or it might be exercising, or it might be investing in a good relationship. It might mean practicing mindfulness. It might mean any number of things where I'm trying to kind of remove myself from normal everyday life and, and plug into something else, but it still involves me plugging in. It involves me engaging. It involves me connecting. And those are some good ways. Um, but I also know there's some ways that are not so good that some of us unplug. And uh, when I'm uh, at work Monday through Friday, I work at a place called Union Gospel Mission. And when I'm there, I work with some guys who sometimes struggle with unplugging from kind of the craziness of life and plugging into alcohol or plugging into drugs 
or for some of us it's plugging into overeating, for some of us it's plugging into pornography. There's all sorts of different ways we plug in in an attempt to get away from the norm, in an attempt to get out of the normal life. And, and if those are some of the areas where you're wrestling with, I keep plugging into places that I know are hurting me, um, I'd encourage you connect with some of our counselors here, come to the refuge, connect with other folks around that. Uh, there are some great places to uh, find connection and people that can kind of walk that journey with you. Um, but I also want to talk this morning about what, what are some seemingly pretty kind of neutral ways that we tend to unplug. Like things like um, watching TV or playing video games or checking social media. And, and I think the danger sometimes can be that we unplug by plugging into these places, but we don't really realize the effect it's having on us. I mean, we might realize the effect of like binge watching eight hours on Netflix because we get fired. Like there's, there, there are some that have an obvious correlation, but oftentimes it's just kind of... I. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm just kind of unplugging on this thing. And, and we don't quite realize that all the unplugging is actually plugging something into our brain. That all of TV, all of social media, video, like it, it has this inherent built-in effect of telling you something about you. And oftentimes we're not aware of what we're plugging into when we do that. So what we're going to do this morning is spend kind of the first half of the service talking about the problem. And then we're going to dive into scripture to say, okay, what are some options for how to kind of get out of this whirlwind? So what I found fascinating today is that one of the top three questions that um, somebody will ask when they show up to the mission for the first time is, where can I plug in my cell phone? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? It's pervasive. It's a pervasive issue. There are, there's nobody that can avoid it. Trevor was just reminding me that like, now even on Delta flights, there's free text messaging while you're flying. Like, you can't unplug fully. <laughs> like, there's just this constant barrage. And, and like, I, I, I'm 36 years old, and I've been out of college for 13 years. And there are a lot of things that did not exist when I was in college. Like, here's what didn't exist when I was in college. Skype, Facebook, Flickr, YouTube, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, Instagram, Snapchat, Vines, Periscope, and the list goes on. It is a new world. <laughs> it is a new world. And a, a way to try and convey that a little bit is I have a short video I want you to watch. So go ahead and watch this video. <laughs> so for our pod uh, who might not have seen that, it's a video called You Are What You Share. Um, uh, do we have any uh, social media users that tend to just use it on the toilet? Um, don't raise your hand. We know who you are. <laughs> do you remember what it was like to be unreachable? Remember when you could go for a drive and nobody could get a hold of you? Ah, oh, I'm an introvert, so that's like my happy idea. It's like the happy place. But, uh, you know, a, a lot of that is kind of, well, you know, mindless, good or bad. I mean, it's like, okay, that's just kind of how we communicate now. But I think inherent in that, there's some danger. And so I want to point out kind of two potential areas that there might be some danger. And the first one, I think, is that social media can kind of put out the idea that what's important is how you perform. That what's important is the version of yourself that you project. And now, in high school, I was a thespian. Any thespians in the room? 
Yeah, woo! Uh, if you don't know what that word means, it means like you're an actor and plays and things like that. Now, and I don't mean to brag, but I was kind of a big deal in high school. Um, so, I mean, what... I had this one role where I got to wear this like skin-tight sequence gold tank top, which not everybody can pull that off. And, uh, and then another time I got to wear uh, like uh, these uh, purple tights and I got to propose to my sister. Um, so that one I didn't, I still haven't lived down with my friends. Uh, but what I found is that being in theater has a similar danger to being on social media, and it's that you start realizing what you get the applause for. You start realizing the version of yourself that people will, you know, literally click like on. Like, you start realizing the, the part of you that you're okay to show to the world, like the sanitized version of you, and so you just perform and recreate that version over and over. And then... The trouble is, then when people actually interact with you, they realize, oh, that's not you at all, is it? Like, there's a real other person underneath all that craziness. Like, there's something else going on. And I think ultimately this, this creates a, an even more serious problem because we then tend to project that picture on God. That does God need me to perform? Does God need me to show up with my sanitized version of myself? And Jesus confronts this all over the place. One time in Matthew 23, he says this to, to the religious leaders, everything you do is for show. Jesus says that. Everything you do is for show, and I don't want the show, he says. I don't want the show. And uh, I mean, ultimately, it begs the question, do people love me for the version of me I project or they love me for who I actually am? And that's one of the dangers we get into with social media. I, my, my family, we, we did a family photo shoot uh, this last week. So a photographer friend of my wife's came and took pictures and then my wife posted this picture. And let me tell you, we look good. Like, like I, I, got, I got like a new sweater. She got me these new shoes. So I'm like, I'm looking good in this picture and my kids are smiling and happy. But how many of you know it took like 500 pictures to get that one? And it took two hours of cajoling the kids to be like, would you please just do a real smile? Would you stop turning around? Would you stop like just using bathroom talk? The whole, like, like would you just focus? But the version is, wow, you guys look great. You guys got it going on. And I think there's this danger of we project what we want the world to see. And then when they actually realize who we are, they don't like it. Uh, there, there was a movie that came out five years ago called The Words. Anybody ever see this? It was uh, uh, Bradley Cooper was in it and Zoe Saldana something. Um, but the basis of the story was Bradley Cooper is this aspiring novelist. And he has this dream. I am going to write the next great American novel. And he spends years writing this novel. He's perfected it. It's this thing that is birthed out of the depth of who he is. And when he tries to bring it to publishers, he gets no after no after no after no after no. Anybody know that feeling? <laughs> and then he and his wife, they go into this antique store. And she buys him this like old briefcase. And he brings it home and it's a few months later and he's like digging through the briefcase and realizes like in between two of the leather parts, if you pull it apart, he finds inside of it a manuscript and it's a novel and he reads through it and it is this incredible novel. 
And so he starts typing it out. He wants to feel what it feels like to type something that good. And he types the whole thing out, and then he eventually publishes it in his name. And he gets fame, and he gets notoriety, and he is given all the accolades, all the kudos, and you know what? He can't receive any of it. I mean, it's the story of a guy who's made it to the top, but he knows that everybody sees him as something that he's not. Everybody sees him as a success, but he knows deep inside, that's not who I am. And I I think sometimes we run uh, into the danger of this quote that's at the end of the movie that the narrator says. uh, He says uh, that you have to choose between life and fiction. The two are very close, but they never actually touch. They are two very, very different things. And the question is, which version of life do we plug into? (laughs) Which one are we plugging into? Are we plugging into, are we conveying, are we showing the world and plugging into this sanitized version of ourself? Or are we actually showing up with our true self and trusting that they're going to be okay with it? Because uh, one of the things Brendan Manning says is that the temptation of this age is to look good, Without being good. Just look good. Just look like you got it together. And I think this tendency to perform is one of the dangers of social media. But there's also a second danger I want to talk to you about. And the second one is uh, almost solely neurological. <laughs> like this, this whole movement of ultra-connectedness over the last 15 years has actually had some pretty profound effects just on our brain and how our brain actually works. So uh, I found this fascinating. So I'm going to show you this little two-minute video that I think will give you an idea of really what's going on. So take a look at this. Whoa. Okay, be honest. Did anybody have phantom vibration syndrome while they talked about phantom vibration syndrome? (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? That like in the last 15 years, your brain is being rewired to experience the world in a different way. And if we think that that's not going to affect how we connect with God, we're kidding ourselves. That this has a profound effect. And so the thing I'm wrestling with is what do you do in an ultra-connected society where we're being pulled this way and that way and then we run into a command like Psalm 4610 that says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Is that even possible? Is that even possible? And the word be still is this Hebrew word rafa, and we're going to talk about that for a minute. But I think sometimes our solitude, our times with God, can feel kind of like having lunch with the person who keeps checking their phone waiting for something more interesting to happen. Where it's like, okay, God, yeah, I'm going to give you this time, but if, you know, if something comes up, I, I got to go do that because I'm, I'm doing your work. I got to do the right stuff. And, but then you get this verse of be still, be still. Rafa, which for the nerds in the audience, uh, the verb is in the hifil form, which we're going to talk about never. And, but it's a fascinating thing because this word Rafa never is translated be still anywhere else in the Bible, but it shows up everywhere. And all the other places it shows up, it's translated as things like let go, forsake, or abandon, which that's kind of weird, right? And I think something that's going on is really trying to point us to the fact that you can't plug into stillness if there's something else already in that outlet. 
Like, if I want to plug into a time of silence, a time of stillness with God, I can't do it in a multitasking way. I can't try and connect with God while I'm trying to connect all these other things in my life. And I I think that sometimes your no is far more important than your yes when it comes to stillness with God. Of, am I willing to say no to the things that are going to distract me in a world that is constantly trying to distract me? Uh, Eugene Peterson talks about how waiting in prayer and waiting in stillness is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. That stillness is a disciplined refusal to act before God does. And the same word Rapha, uh, there's a noun form in the Old Testament and it's Rephaim. And this word Rephaim, when it's throughout the Old Testament, the noun means the place of the dead. Isn't that weird? Do you think that it's possible that in a world where we are constantly getting fed dopamine and feel-good chemicals in our brain when we're connecting outside of ourselves and talking about ourselves, that when we sit in stillness with God, disconnected from all that, it might feel like a death? That like the stuff that we've been using to make us feel better all of a sudden is gone and we're just us. I'm just me. And sometimes I don't like it. But in the midst of that, we're called to settle down. We are called to stop striving. We're called, as Greg talked about last week, to let go of our own understanding that our map is the territory. And how in the world are we supposed to realize our map is not the territory when every place we're connected keeps reaffirming that our map is the territory? And yet, I struggle because stillness creates a fear that I'm doing nothing. It creates a fear that I'm doing nothing in a world that desperately needs people to do something. (laughs) And the struggle is not a new one. This is a struggle that you see throughout the Bible of people who have a tendency to just start acting and start doing and start moving because there's so much that needs done in the world. Uh, One of my favorite stories about this is in Isaiah 30. And the the way this this story works is you've got um, Israel and Assyria has taken over the northern kingdom already and they're about to take over the southern kingdom. So you got Assyria coming from the north and then from the south you got Egypt coming and Israel's just this little two tribes sitting in the middle not sure what to do. So they do what any of us might do, seek help. They make a treaty with Egypt to help them with Assyria. And I mean the ultimate point of the passage is about who do you trust? Do you trust God Or do you trust all the ways you can figure out to make things right? And here's what it says in the middle of Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest, which is this word nechat, which is super fun to say, uh, but also means like this descending of yourself. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And see if you recognize yourself in this but you would have none of it. But you would have none of it. And uh, the challenge is that the solutions and answers begin by plugging into repentance and rest and trust and stillness. And and yet, I struggle on a daily basis hanging out at a place like Union Gospel Mission where there are real things that need to get done. Like, there are people who are in addiction and it honestly is killing them. 
There are people who have been stuck in homelessness for like 15, 20 years and I can't just sit around and not do anything. There are people who are in the throes of a mental illness that is debilitating them. And, and yet in the midst of that, I'm constantly being reminded uh, that there's something that needs to get done. And I think the challenge for all of us is to recognize there is something that needs to get done, but the problem is sometimes we jump so quickly into what needs to get done, we forget the fact that God maybe has something unique for you to do. Because when you try and do all of it without first coming to God to say, what is the thing you have for me to do? I can tell you from experience, you get ravaged. You get ravaged. You get so tired and burnt out, you end up doing none of it. And yet God is calling us to say, sit with me and I will point out what it is to you. What it is for you that I have. And it's unique. But we can't hear it when all the noise is playing. And so the challenge is, can you sit still long enough to actually hear the message God has uniquely for you? Because he has something for you to do. But it's not everything that everybody else has to do. I love the way that uh, the message translates Psalm 4610. It says this, Step out of the traffic. Be still. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me Your high God, above politics, amen, Amen. above everything. I think some people in this room need to step out of the traffic (laughs) because it's possible to be so engaged in some of the insanity of what's going on in our culture right now and just so passionate and like we're just so wanting to do justice and so wanting to see change and we talk about it so much we actually think we're doing it. And yet God is challenging us to say, Be still. Step out of the traffic for a minute and actually listen to what I'm trying to say to you. Because you can't do this on your own. You will fall apart, (laughs) I can tell you. So I want to invite you to a course correction today. And it's a course correction around this ancient discipline of solitude and silence. Henry Nouwen, when he talks about uh, the discipline of solitude, he says, in solitude... I get rid of my scaffolding. Scaffolding, as we talked about earlier, this is all the things I do to look impressive. This is all the things I do to make it look like I've got it figured out. It's all the masks that I have a tendency to wear. And the trouble with masks is they can look impressive, but you can't actually ever connect because you're not actually ever seeing the person. And so in solitude, we are forced to deal with the fact that I'm me. Donald Miller, he, he wrote a book called Scary Close. And in this book, he talks about this week-long retreat he went on. And one of the rules of the retreat was for a week, you can't tell anybody what you do. Like, for an entire week, you're meeting all sorts of new people. And, you know, the standard, well, what do you do? You're not allowed to do that. Because there is a you behind, beneath, below, more depth than what you do And sometimes we need solitude to remind us that that's there. To be reminded that you are not what you do. That God says you are more than that. So I want to invite you uh, into, I'm going to talk about three different types of solitude that for me have been really helpful. Um, And they all start with I because that's what you're supposed to do when you preach. So here's the deal. There's three different kinds. The first one is called immersive solitude. And um, immersive solitude is retreat time. 
This is a time where, for me, it's like a minimum eight hours, but oftentimes it's multiple days where it's, I'm available only to God for an extended period of time. And this is a, a discipline I've been doing for about a decade now where a couple times a year I just kind of, I go away for a couple days and just silence with God. And for some of you, like you're actually having a panic attack thinking about that. Uh, and, but here's the deal. I, I, I did this about a month ago and what I decided to do for this day, I took like an eight-hour day and I, I decided to drive down the Great River Road, so down the St. Croix. So I drove for four hours in silence. I stopped at every historical marker, so I know a lot about the Great River Road. And when I finally got to this little town, I sat on this bench and I was looking out at the river and I was writing and journaling and praying. And what I didn't realize was that like five feet in front of me below this bush, there was a railroad track. So right in the middle of my time of immersive solitude, this massive freight train goes in front of me and like the bench I'm on like literally is shaking. <laughs> and, but after the train went by, I started journaling and the words that I saw coming out on the page was, it's in solitude that we're able to hear what's rumbling in our soul. It's in solitude that you hear what's rumbling in your soul. And I think we desperately need to hear what's rumbling in our soul. And in the context of a world where we are not just going to drift into this. We are not going to drift into an opportunity to hear what's really going on. And so our challenge is to find some immersive solitude. To find some depth there. So that's the first one I want to invite you to. The second one is intentional solitude. This is just, this is a daily discipline. This is your date with God on a daily basis. This is, if you've grown up in church, you've heard about this all the time. Have a quiet time with God. And uh, for, for me, what it looks like is having the same place I go to every morning. And for me, it's the back of my house. There's a chair kind of sitting out on this, this deck and I just sit there. And it requires coffee because it's very early. And it's my Bible, it's a journal, it's spending time in prayer. And for some, it's going for a walk without your phone every day. For some, it's on the drive to work, I'm going to go in total silence. And the drive home, I'm going to listen to whatever I listen to. But it's finding a rhythm on a daily basis where you can plug into God so that when the rest of the world is plugging into you, you actually have a foundation to go from. Because if you don't, we just keep getting blown in all sorts of different directions. And then the third type of solitude uh, is integrated solitude. And uh, this is something that uh, Greg talks a lot about. This is like practicing the presence of God every day, of every moment, all the time. Am I aware that the presence of God is literally soaking in this place? Like God is here. And for me, what, the discipline that's helpful uh, is I uh, do a discipline called the prayer of examine, uh, which what that is, is the end of my day, I sit with God and just think through my day and ask God to give me an awareness of when did you show up that I missed you today? When did you show up? And oftentimes it's little things. It's the conversation that I had with somebody. It's playing catch with my son. It's maybe forgiving somebody that you didn't think you were going to be able to forgive. Uh, my wife and I have above our uh, sink in our kitchen, there's this kind of little uh, kind of copper plaque thing and uh, it says on it, bidden or not bidden, God is here. Whether you call, oh my goodness. <laughs> he is here. 
<laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, that was the best. Woo! Oh, my goodness. A. <laughs> bidden or not bidden, God is here. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So my encouragement for you is to think about with God, what is the course correction he's calling you to around plugging into solitude? Maybe it's an immersive time. Maybe it's an intentional daily routine. Maybe it's something about integrating him into every moment of every day. But here's the deal. There is a lot at stake if we don't do this. Because as you saw in those videos I showed and as we talked about earlier, our world is great at a breadth of information, but we don't have as much depth as we need. Like, there is a need for some rootedness in our culture. Would you agree? Like, something that is more than just reactive. Something that can actually say, no, I know who I am, and I know what God's made me to do, and I'm walking in that. You don't get to tell me what I'm about. Because God gets to tell me what I'm about. But to the degree that we are not plugging into solitude and have a course correction that is geared towards solitude, we just get blown every, every other way. So the calling of us as a church is to be a place that plugs into God so that we are a rooted community. Because it is out of rootedness that the kingdom of God grows. The kingdom of God expands because it's not that in solitude I, like, we, we don't make big changes, we don't do big things, it's that we do them grounded in the one who can actually accomplish them. Because I can't do it. I know I can't do it. And I know you can't do it. But we worship a God who is, wants to empower you to do that. Amen? So, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come forward. And if you've been listening to this and have never actually said, yes, I want to plug into a relationship with God, I would implore you to come and talk to one of these uh, prayers and hear from them about what it looks like to start that relationship with God. Um, or maybe there is something you are plugging into that is destroying you and you know it. Um, I would really encourage you to come and get some prayer from these folks. And as we close, I, I, I want to read a benediction over you. And this is a benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, one of the things I found to be helpful is to integrate um, my physicality with my soul. And so I'm going to invite you to just put your hands out in a way to receive this um, if you're comfortable with it. So I pray that from God's glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of God. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And now all glory to him who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. And if you agree, say amen. amen. All right, go plug into God this week.